You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? West Dead Air and I here with always typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1987 Stephen King massive mayhem motherfucking movie, Maximum Overdrive. Did it scare the hell out of you? I mean, when I was a kid? Nah, just now, like today, because that's what he's after, right? He is scaring the hell out of me. I mean, a little bit. I can tell you one thing about this movie. This movie has so haunted me my entire life that still, still, when I'm walking places, I start checking what I could use as a natural barricade or unnatural barricade between me and a car that has come to life to try to kill me. So anytime I'm walking through a particularly high, uh, there's particularly high parishions on the road or something like that, I say to myself, ooh, yeah, that's good. So if I just catch out of the corner of my eye, a car that's come to life to kill me, I can hop that, and there's no way that this car would even attempt to. And if it did, it ripped the shit out of the bottom of its wheels. I still do that, Lydia. Walking to work, I'm 33 years old. I believe I it. I still fucking have these thoughts to myself. So if you're wondering what I'm thinking about, dear listeners, while I'm walking someplace by myself, not talking to anyone, I'm thinking about uh, impossible scenarios where vehicles come to life and try to kill me and how I will harrowingly and narrowly avoid danger i believe it and you know to anyone else that would sound entirely crazy i look for dead bodies in every ditch i walk by so i mean <laughs> that doesn't sound crazy and you're trying to escape cars that have suddenly come to life i watched christine too and i was very <laughs> upset about christine when i first watched it when i was a kid and scared to walk home that night in case a car came to life and killed me yeah idling lawnmower in a front yard where does my mind go? Maximum overdrive. Oh, Are we passing yeah. through the tail of a comet? Probably. Oh, hell yeah. And yeah. that's just it. Everyone in maximum overdrive thought that that kind of cars coming to life shit would be crazy too. Until they found themselves in a scenario where cars came to life. But it's not just cars, Lydia. That's what people forget about this movie. Oh my god, electric knives. It's fucking everything. Vending machines. Yeah. My all-time favorite. You're fucking... Water-resistant, bright yellow Sony Walkman. Or a tiny toy police car. Yeah. Street signs. Street signs are going to tell you to fuck off. Your uh, ATM machine is going to call you an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like the best intro ever with Stephen King introing his own movie that he wrote and directed. In the very first scene that you see a human being, it's him. This movie has the reputation of being the first and the only film that Stephen King directed. And of course he went into this with his best foot forward saying the only one that can do my stories right is me. I'm taking the reins of this thing. So incensed was he by a lot of other uh, uh, interpretations of his work, most notably and famously disliking The Shining. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. And now it's something that he, I guess, regrets that he ever did. It's funny, I saw the um, a tagline for 1408 when I was looking at promo material from that from last week, and it was 1408, the best Stephen King adaptation since The Shining. And I'm like, wow, he must read this shit and just be like, ooh, 
fuck, I hate that shit. Mm-hmm. And he must watch this and just be like, oh, because apparently he really hates it. He basically disowns it. He thinks that it's like the worst example ever of a Stephen King adaptation. The absolute worst. And I call bullshit on that. Oh, as a fan, I do too, because I really love this movie. And I I'd, I'd posit that this is the best Stephen King adaptation. And it is, I think, the scariest. It's certainly the most fun that I've had watching a Stephen King horror movie. I'm a little torn. I really like Pet Cemetery, So when it comes to Stephen King adaptations, I would kind of rank these side by side. I'm kind of in the mood always to watch both. If you, if you, were, if you were to say to me, Wes, you want to pop in Maximum Overdrive? I'd be like, fuck yeah. yeah. But then at the same token... You know, it's around Halloween. I kind of want to watch Pet Cemetery at the same time. Um, Pet Cemetery, I could take in bits and like, you know, I want to, I want to see Jed and I want to see Zelda, and that's like, man, Gage. I want to see Gage slay some Achilles tendon. You know, that's mm-hmm. all I really, really care. I don't want to see Church, fluffy, adorable Church. Meh, I see cats everywhere. Uh, are they as fucking handsome, ruggedly handsome as Church? Ruggedly handsome as Church. Church and Cujo are both ruggedly handsome. Oh as my you God. Put it. They really are, as far as Stephen King animals go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were talking a little bit about this before we went, but I honestly approach this film and Stephen King's dislike of it, and that's putting it mildly. Oh, yeah. This guy fucking can't stand this movie. He, not only does he openly, he's like, it's a moron movie. I can't stand it. It's the worst. Uh, film adaptation of my works ever made and I'm the one that made it uh, he, he even goes so far as like I was so coked out of my mind like he just that he didn't know what he was doing the, when people say how come you haven't directed another film he's like have you seen Maximum Overdrive like yeah. he is very embarrassed he, he and he brutalizes this movie because of that and I honestly think that I mean great I, granted I, if he is the one that made it and he's not happy with it you know, you go into a project thinking that you have all the answers and he says to himself, finally, I'm going to have the creative control that I have wanted about uh, of my the, the film adaptations that I've always wanted. And then he fucks it up. And so part of him is just going to be, like you said, embarrassed and angry, frustrated, and then perhaps a, a little humbled by that experience. And so he will come at it harder. He's also, though, and this is my point to it, He's a fucking artist. He's a creative person. And I've very rarely met creative people that honestly, when you look at anything they do, whether it's writing, drawing, or filming, actually say to yourself, yeah, this is awesome. Check out this awesome thing I made that's fucking going to change the world. No. They always say, oh, I fucking hate this thing. This is fucking terrible. This is sophomoric. This is amateurish. Somebody else thought of this already. I'm just fucking ripping them off. I'm, I'm, you know, it's that whole, um, the imposter police thing that like Neil Gaiman talks about, like they're going to figure out that you're a fraud. And, and to me, this kind of speaks volumes to that. He's the one that made it, so he's the hardest on the one that he made. Yeah. And, and I don't... And I'm not saying he's wrong for it, but I think he's coming down way too hard on it. Because there's, frankly, worse Stephen King adaptations are certainly more boring films. There's Stephen King adaptations that I don't want to sit through. We're getting to one. And... <laughs> So, so I think it really comes from that place. Not disingenuous. It's not false modesty. But I just think that he's way too close to it. Oh, completely. Because if he had watched 
maximum overdrive or red trucks outside of himself written by somebody else he would read those things and watch this movie and be like this is really cool this is really inspired stuff this is a lot in line with what i write so i fucking of course i love this tell of a comet makes all the electronics freak out and try and kill all the humans awesome that's that's so in his wheelhouse those mm-hmm. are hitting all of his little buttons so he would like that you look at the direction of this film which i think was directed impeccably especially for a debut like a dare especially for a directorial debut he did a fucking fine job better than a lot of people out there there's a lot of really good shots in this there's a lot of moments where i think to myself this doesn't look like a first time directorial debut I mean, yes, it's Stephen King. Yes, he's got a budget behind this. And yes, he's got actors behind this. But at the same time, the things are framed well. Shots look good. The action shots look good. Everything you know, works in this film. It's, Everything. It, 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 Unless it, someone else was like babysitting him entirely if he was that coked out as he puts it. Which, I mean, you can't be that coked out. Yeah. And it's not like... Uh, doing quaaludes or something it's not a downer it's an upper so if anything it's going to like heighten his directorial experience because he's going to be driving these people like a fucking slave master if i were to comment about anything about the direction i think where it shows a newness or an unfamiliarity is in very certain scenes with certain actors where i think it kind of speaks to me oh well this looks like the, the this director hasn't reined in their actor enough. Or one more take. Can I have another one of that? Give me two. Give me three. It, it, or maybe a not really being able to communicate what you're looking for from your actors. Because that's a massive part of directing. I mean, yes, all the, t- the technical aspects. But any director will tell you that, first and foremost, you're a people person. And you're down there. And you are getting the performances out of your actors. Not line readings, because that's amateurish as well. But... Just trying to make sure that the actors are able to give you the things that you are looking for. And and so that's where sometimes on new directors, uh, you know, you have your, your DPs are really, really valuable in that sense. Second units are really, really valuable depending on what you're shooting. But it's I, I really think that some of the scenes would have benefited from just one more take. And frankly, a little less in some scenes. A little less. I'm thinking about one or two scenes in particular where I just like... You're at 11. Let's take it to 9. If it's the scenes I'm thinking of, we're going to argue about it. Okay. Sweet. I don't know. I sort of think... I'm no expert when it comes to like wrangling people and like the directing and stuff. So I do have to say, though, with him directing a kid, probably for the first time, even though he's written kids and at this time he had kids, he's directing uh, Holter Graham mm-hmm. as young Deke. There was a lot of times where I thought that it needed a few takes. Luckily, the kid's a great actor, mm-hmm. like a, really an impeccable actor for that particular role. But there's a few things where I'm like, I'm, I don't believe the emotion mm-hmm. that this kid's portraying, or I don't believe yeah. the coldness. Mm-hmm. And those two things sort of juxtapose, mm-hmm. make me doubt this character, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Certainly since some of those scenes are very close together. Yeah, especially when the kid's dealing with adults. Um, when the kid's all by itself... For most of the beginning of the film, everything that the kid's doing is fine. It's when the kid needs to interact with adults that he needs a little more direction. Mm. But not much more. And that's being fucking nitpicky because he does just fine. Yeah, and believe me, these are... Even the complaints that I have were about the performances. It's picky-ass shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that if I were to, from my perspective, see anything 
that Stephen King would have to be ashamed of in terms of his directorial debut, it would, and and ashamed to be way too strong a word. It's just yeah, like just a couple of more takes or different choices that you want of your actors. That's it. And it's small because even the performances that I'm not wild about are scenes that I don't think are entirely there. One of the scenes we were talking about was the fact when uh, Deke does discover that his father has died. That's one of the scenes I'm talking about where I was just like, let's pull this back a little bit. Um, We need a little more from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one, give me one more, two more. Like let's, let's, you're in the right, he's in the right direction, the right ballpark if I could... Oh, you're funny. Oh, you're a funny guy. And you had said horror comedy in relation to this show, so wow. Yeah. Wow. I do not see it. I do not see it. So we'll need your baseball jokes. We'll, we'll need it. To get we'll, me giggling. <laughs> uh, well, that actually kind of brings me to the first time that I ever saw this movie. And before we get into the plot, and we're getting there, but this, like I've teased in previous episodes, this movie is a massive film from my childhood where I really, really have distinct memories. But the very first time I ever saw this movie, I'll never forget it. My dad was watching it in the kitchen and I came in just at the time when the vending machine wigs out, hits the guy in the balls, hits the guy in the chest. And the, the little leaguers are all kind of gathered around him. It's stunned. A few of them are still giggling about the nut hit. Oh, yeah, because... And that helps as a laugh track for young Wes. (laughs) It does. And when I watched that scene, I instantly thought, oh, this is a comedy. And so I instantly sat down because I loved comedy when I was a kid. I loved to laugh. I loved things that were funny. I loved jokes. I listened to joke albums. Like, I just listened to, like, Ren and Stimpy's Krakow Christmas and Weird Al Yankovic tapes all the time when I was in that seven, eight, nine, ten year old phase. That's all I cared about. So I thought this was a comedy. But very quickly, do you see in this scene, there's nothing funny happening here. Because this is where you look at the damage to this guy's head where a pop can flew out and hit him in the skull. This motherfucker is dead. His head is busted completely open in a perfect circle of the pop can that hit him. And then you see the kid kind of actiony blocking his face. All the other kids get rained down on by pop cans. A steamroller shows up, and these kids are fucking getting killed. Yeah. And and instantaneously, I sat up and I paid attention. I had no fucking idea what was going on because I missed the first 10, 15 minutes. That sets that, you up. That sets me up to, yeah. to say what's going to go on. And so... I instantly became swept away with this movie, not having any idea what the fuck was happening. In many ways, in the same mental spot as the characters experiencing the film, because they don't know what's going on either. And neither did I, and anyone else who watched this movie from the beginning would have that blurb at the start that explains exactly what's going on. And so you're waiting the rest of the film for characters to catch up on knowledge that you already have. Um, the first time I saw this film was when it came out. I had already read Trucks, big Stephen King fan in the household. We had the copy of Night Shift, mm-hmm. and I read it before I knew it was going to be a movie for sure. My parents were big fans. They had probably rented it. But the commercials were on TV 
The only other time I noticed a commercial for something I genuinely liked on TV over and over and over again was when Skinny Puppy, the process was coming out and there was fucking <laughs> Skinny Puppy commercials on TV. So I was just like, what the fuck kind of bizarre world have I entered where shit I like is on television? Wow. It's happened twice in my life. <laughs> really? Was I on TV? I don't watch TV anymore, Wes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You could be and I wouldn't know. Oh. But... That and years before the process was released, um, this fucking movie, because the trailer for this, Stephen King cordially invites you to watch the film that he directed. Because if you want to make a Stephen King movie, you got to make it yourself. Or if you want to make a Stephen King movie right, you got to make it yourself. Right? Yeah. And he's going to scare the hell out of you. And he hell like yeah. loads all of this. Hell yeah praise and promise on in the trailer and the trailer is pretty fucking scary and it's directed very very well the the trailer's cut very very well so it was a riveting trailer to watch a riveting fucking movie to watch i loved every minute of watching this fucking movie Mm -hmm. and not only was i already an acdc fan because we had all of the acdc vinyl and previous singer acdc vinyl in the house so it was like all this fandom if you will that had boiled over in maximum overdrive itself mm-hmm. when I was about 13, which is like prime horror age, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, I love this movie. I can tell, and I'm really excited that we're doing it. You know, the ages that we saw this film are the perfect ages to get introduced to a movie like this because it's violent and it's serious. And people, again, where it's like, oh, it's a comedy. It's like... Aside from the intrinsic absurdity of vehicles coming to life via a comet, which is not comedy to me, it just seems like uh, 50s sci-fi to me. It's even the way that the film opens up with a picture of the globe and and little uh, effects around it and a paragraph that just says, this is what happened. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It is very fifties sci-fi, which which to me seems deliberate. So I'm not rolling my eyes, thinking, "Oh, this is so dated." I'm 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 there with you. I'm with you. I got you. Okay, I see what we're doing now. Yeah, especially at ten to thirteen years old. Oh hell yeah! You're already into all of those things. So he's oh, like. Yeah pushing all those buttons but those are the same buttons that he had had pushed and ray bradbury was very famous for that like these are the things i liked when i was seven to Mm -hmm. 13 and i still fucking love them and surround myself with them to the point that i still write about them because those are still the same buttons and those buttons exist in everybody else so Mm -hmm. another great master of sci-fi horror blend yeah as you see a lot of these uh, science fiction creators filmmakers writers whoever who are you know about around these days that are in their 40s 50s uh 60s they all remember watching old science fiction drive-in films where you have giant insects crawling over miniature cities you have the blob you have harryhausen films all of these things happening in cinema that are capturing a generation's imaginations these generations some of them become creators what the fuck do you think they draw on when they're creating things? And so, yeah, it absolutely makes sense that we see so much stuff that pulls from the 1950s. Because uh, believe me, there's there's an entire group of people that look at the, the horror and science fiction from that decade with the exception of a few prestige films. You know, The Day the Earth Stood Still, 
films like that, a lot of people just sort of like thumb their nose at it and say, yeah. oh, it's so cheesy, it's so dumb. And believe me, I get it. But there was people out there who did not think they were cheesy and dumb, who fucking thought they were amazing. Stephen King being one of these people. And he's still pushing those buttons. You know, for years and decades after, he was writing things like Tommy Knockers. Um, I couldn't name something that he's written recently because I really still steep myself in his spooks and haunts, like Joyland, which was totally unheard of. I don't know anyone else that has read Joyland. It's more of a crime fiction, but it deals with ghosts. And his uh, follow-up to The Shining, Dr. Sleep, that's a little more me as far as things like Under the Dome and Sal, like things that have to do with this global weird sci-fi thing that's going on as opposed to ghosts and hauntings and more paranormal. I enjoy him for that. But he is still definitely writing these weird science fiction stories. Mm -hmm. And they really are just weird stories. This is likened most commonly to the mist. And you had mentioned it. There's scenes in this that are very Mm mist-like. But they do draw on those same things. Something we can't explain has gone on. We're trapped because whatever it is wants to kill all the humans. Yeah. And is global. The stand kind of begins like that. And I wish the stand... I I like the stand for what it is, but I wish that he would write more of just Captain Trips because I want a super flu to like wipe out the entire planet. I'll teach you all for not watching your fucking hands. (laughs) Which came first, Trucks or The Mist? No, that was from a later collection from Skeleton Crew, which the cover of that and the cover of Night Shift, I just love so very much. A monkey with symbols. Oh, yeah. Terrifying. A weird bandaged hand with eyes all on it. Um, the night shift paperback I'm still hunting because I lost my copy. So if anyone wants to fucking point me in the right direction because I've been looking for it. I don't want to just order it off eBay like a putz. I want to walk into a place and buy it like old-fashioned style. But yeah, <laughs> um, in Night Shift, it had another film that was adapted far later. Sometimes they come back. And I remember when it hit theaters... He is very proud of that film, that adaptation. He really likes it. Apparently, it's one of his favorites, if I recall correctly. And I remember going to see it thinking, well, if it's anything, if it's better than Maximum Overdrive, he thinks it's really great, then it must be even better than that, so I'm going to fucking love it. And I wasn't, I didn't like it very much. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But it is very much like The Mist, which came out a couple years later, as far as the short stories go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, The Mist and The Stand are very, very much alike in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Not only because they were written around the same time. They were adapted at completely different times. Yeah, so that's what I was not sure about. Mm-hmm. So what's this movie about anyways? It is about a comet. It is about a comet. That makes zombies rise from the earth. Not quite. Oh. <laughs> Do they find a zombie head in a cooler at the end when they get on a boat uh, you're mixing up the stuff again okay i thought that's just what comets do is make zombies rise from the ground that's what i thought Tales. well if, if you follow romero's work then yes that is exactly what they do but in this case what happens is a comet zooms past earth and all this green radiation just sort of settles right into the atmosphere. Which I do love the effect of that. Oh, it's fucking fantastic. Yeah, I can see somebody watching. Somebody born, like, not to pick on, like, not to be ageist here, but someone born after 1988 to watch this film now and just be like, okay, nice CG. And it would be like, what the fuck? 
It's yeah. not even, man. Like, it's a beautiful matte painting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so take that. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, as the kids say. You know? <laughs> as the kids might say yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to be stuck in the tail of this comet for eight days, which is good that we know that right off the top. Because, okay, whatever's about to happen, because he promised he's going to scare the hell out of me, it'll eventually, like, disperse. And yeah, he's like, I'm going to scare you for precisely eight days, and then we're going to get out of here. But for those eight days... You're mine. You are mine. Yeah. It starts slowly at first. Electronics seem to be bugging out. Signs are saying some horrible obscenities. and I want to splice in the feed me a dead cat scene. Into this <laughs> at the beginning of the ATM. If an ATM's going to say shit to you, you might as well ask for a dead cat. I suppose um, that's from American Psycho, not from Maximum Overdrive, though. So he basically just calls Stephen King doing his Stephen King cameos, calling him an asshole. And Stephen King's doing... He honestly comes off like this exact same way as he does in um, Creepshow to me. As Jordy Verrill? Yeah, because yeah. he's not exactly doing Jordy Verrill, but he is... He's doing his I'm Stephen King and I'm acting thing, so I do that voice that I do. I'm doing that voice. That Stephen King acting voice. Because that's not his voice. But anytime he's doing a cameo, he's just like... He's Gomer playing Pyle. like a yokel. A bit of a yokel. Like That's, has, that's what he likes to do. He writes so. a lot of yokels. He <laughs> writes slimy so good. And I'll go on about how he writes slimy so good. But he writes yokels. He writes hillbillies. He writes old wizened sages of the fucking backwoods. He writes that really good. Only because he's probably spent a lot of time there as a kid, reading fucking sci-fi comics to get away from these weird grown-ups. You know? In Maine. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is one of the only films of his and stories of his that don't take place in that area. He's in North Carolina. Yeah. Maximum and there's not place. a lot of those at all. Um, so it's nice to see him out of Boulder, Colorado or Maine. Mm-hmm. The fictional dairy Maine at that. After a little bit of mayhem with some bridge operators flipping a bunch of cars over. And the uh, watermelons. And the watermelons. Some gory, gory watermelons. Uh, my experience with Ron Watermelons just makes me n- not wonder what that smells like. Knows what that smells like. And I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I like it sets you up because this does get pretty gory. But right off the hop when you're seeing people being launched through the windshields of cars you know that that's pretty gory and that these people are getting killed and these people are getting fucked up so but you don't see a lot of that gore but what you get to see is a lot of exploded watermelons Mm -hmm. which at first you're like okay so maybe this won't be a gory movie so they're like substituting all this fruit carnage (laughs) for the real thing and it looks pretty gory Mm -hmm. watermelon wise yeah but then the movie does get nice and gory not that long after. This is very true because this is, once we're finished with this scene, uh, we're going to see character pumping gas. That gas is going to, that gas pump is going to stop working. going to blast him in the eyes. going to blind him. He's going to be writhing on the ground. And this is where we're starting to meet a bunch of our characters from the Dixie truck stop. Who we're going to be spending a lot of time with. Because once we settle into this area and everyone kind of converges on this point, that's about 
the long and short of the rest of the movie. Much like a zombie film with a shopping mall, not naming any names, or it's true. <laughs> much like The Mist, where we get to mm-hmm. meet our cast of characters in a grocery, mm-hmm. and everyone is trapped in there, and we have to get to know them pretty well, pretty mm-hmm. fast. Maybe that's why I like The Mist so much, because it takes place in a grocery store. It makes a lot of practical sense to do stories like this if you're going to do big apocalypse. If you're going to do big apocalyptic types of storytelling and you're not really you're not really interested in doing big action beats especially in your writing then you're going to quiet the story down and focus on a single event happening while everything else is happening. You can assume that the entire world is getting torn apart by these electronics. So whether or not it's machines coming to life or zombies or i don't know fucking alien invasion or dinosaurs or whatever we can tell a really compelling story in a house at a cottage in a mall it's anywhere in a high-rise building there's all kinds of stories that you can tell all over the world and you could just keep it going oh yeah any zero day story and i'm a big zero day girl i like you are i don't like zombie stuff i like zero day stuff and which is kind of contrary because I don't really like character-driven stories mm-hmm. as much because fuck people. Mm. I want the plot and the problems to rule, but plot and problems do rule in something like a zombie film because we already know the plot. It's a zombie mm-hmm. apocalypse. It's a zombocalypse. Mm-hmm. But Zero Day, if you're not interested in what's happening in this house, you can move a kilometer down the road into that house or across town into the jail. Or down into the countryside or to another city where this also just happened. So mm-hmm. you've got all these different scenarios and all these different characters you can mix and mingle into that large problem, which I already have been bought and sold on, mm-hmm. Zombocalypse. Same thing with Maximum Overdrive. You could write fanfic in the same place, mm-hmm. having all of these electronics freaking out and write so many different combinations. But being Stephen King, he's going to stick it in the semi-countryside in a gas station, of course. Mm. So you can meet the real people, right? Yeah, and also you get the luxury of having these big, meaty, mean-looking trucks Yeah, all over the place. And holy fuck, do these vehicles start showing themselves, showing personality through visualization, which me, as a comic book fan and writer, love because I love the instantaneous iconography of a lot of these vehicles. From an ice cream truck to a gun truck to fucking, of course, the truck that everybody knows. Which truck is that? It's the Happy Toys truck with a Z, because we're Canadian, with the Green Goblin mask. This truck has become the movie to people. Oh my god, yeah. As much as Stephen King may denounce this film, as much as actors from this film may denounce this film, horror fans love this fucking movie, and love that truck like a fucking child. This truck is on tour, <laughs> and I fucking <laughs> love this truck so very fucking much. And you know that feeling mm-hmm. of adoration and fear mm-hmm. that commingle when when you're a fan of this film? Don't ever, ever go away, aside from wanting to figure out your escape route when you're walking home at night <laughs> from the cars that are going to kill you, maybe. To walking around a corner at a convention and seeing this truck sitting there. Mm-hmm. The, the goblin mask, oh my god. You can't mm-hmm. help but be gravitated to it 
and a little bit scared that it might attack you. Mm-hmm. But it is so cool looking and oh my god, I would have it. I would I would clear out a room and hang it on the wall if I had it because <laughs> it's really that beautiful. I think a lot of people would when when they're horror fans. One of the things that makes a lot of horror fans horror fans is we like to collect things. Not all of us. You are obviously an exception to no, that. No, I don't even have my little green goblin jack in the box. You don't. No. But, I mean, when there's apparel for this movie, uh, pins, anytime that any stuff gets created that is based on maximum overdrive, what gets made is this truck, the image of this truck. And I don't know. They're probably hoping that Marvel just doesn't pay attention to it anymore. They don't care because when outside sources start selling a shirt that technically has the Green Goblin's face on it, because it's not something that evokes the image of the Green Goblin. It is straight up the Spider-Man villain owned by Marvel, owned by Disney, that is now like running over children, not children, but running over people and... He's the ringleader. He's the ringleader of this evil fucking truck. And oh my God, when we're watching this film and we're cutting to a lot of uh, characters meeting each other, you know, Emilio Estevez and all that kind of stuff. But when we're starting to meet the trucks, which is what everyone bought their tickets for, Mm -hmm. what the, the one of the first ones that you see that becomes the main antagonist basically for this movie, trucking down the road, pardon the expression. Coming towards you, I've. It's an icon is born, and I love watching a film retroactively knowing this stuff because. Oh, the first scene when it's coming down the yeah, road. Because who would have guessed? Who would have guessed that this image? I mean, yes, I mean Stephen King and and everyone that made this obviously made this truck wanted it to be so unique. Uh, getting permission from Marvel leaves the head. And saying, yeah, this is going to be the visual thing that pops in this film. But but like that years later, it's on t-shirts and all that other kind of shit. As recognizable to horror fans as a lot of mainstream slashers are, that's the kind of shit that I love. Because I know, I know when that opening shot of this truck where we're introducing this character, this like I said, an icon is born. And I love moments like that. I, it's like, I like it in any film that I see where... No one would have suspected that this moment, the first time you ever saw this character on cinema, this would become an indelible image for all time. Well, that's the end of the show. Thanks for coming around. Like, I'm convinced. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah, he serves a lot better than like a little tiny chain gun on a fucking tiny little go-kart, right? Yeah. Wouldn't want that on a t-shirt. Well, I think that you could put that on a t-shirt, but no one would know what it's from. You no. want that instant recognizability. Not even if you had it said beep, 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 beep on the side? Well, it'd be really helpful for the military personnel who still know Morse code or Cub Scouts, I guess. <laughs> I'd know what it's from. You would know what it's I from. I would know what it's from. You know what? I'd probably pick up on it, too. Or I would think that someone just really likes the military. Yeah, pretty much. At this point, we do have a better glimpse of what's going on in the city around. And there's been quite a bit of death and dismemberment, near dismemberment at the truck stop. Because we've had trucks attacking people, the gas pump attack people. Mm -hmm. We've had the electric knife 
has attacked a waitress. Mm-hmm. The video game consoles, all the arcade machines start waiting out. Cigarette machines start spewing out all their stuff, and cash gets spewed out all over the floor. Which was my favorite scene as a kid. I didn't spend a lot of time in arcades, but there was a like an Elvira game and like um, mm. Marvel versus Capcom and a couple other pinball games at this truck stop near. It was sort of like the halfway point between the city and the mm-hmm. countryside where I lived. Um, so you'd end up stopping there for one reason or another. So I I did actually play video games in a truck stop arcade, much like that one. And it's uh, Giancarlo Esposito, who would probably be known to people who've watched Breaking Bad. I've never watched that. But he's in that. But I recognized him instantly from King of New York. He plays Lance. It's funny because I remember back when we were doing, was it Driller Killer? Yeah. Back when we were doing Driller Killer, and you took the time to show me a trailer for this movie. And, and 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 you're just like okay now Wes this isn't horror it's not really my but I fucking love this movie and so the when you told me what this guy this guy was in that movie I was like oh of course you instantaneously recognize him he's got quite a face I know like I I'd like to see him in Breaking Bad I have no interest in watching all of Breaking Bad yeah um, not maybe into it. someday when I'm retired or if I have a broken limb or two where I'm forced to lay down and watch things like someone puts it in front of your like keeps your eyes lids open like in Clockwork Orange and shit. Yeah, like give me the Ludovico <laughs> technique and force me to watch all the Breaking Bad. Then I'm sure I'll catch it. That and Lost would be the only ways I'll watch those shows. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing him in this because I I just think he's got a great face. I don't know why he didn't make more films. Like great a great little actor. But he's in this little little tiny very iconic bit scene where he gets fried by all the uh, video games. Deke has been sort of like abandoned around the city and trying to bike to the gas station where his dad works because after the incident at his baseball game where his coach got killed by the pop vending machine and a bunch of his teammates, he's gone here and there on the city and we've gotten a good glimpse through the kids' eyes of what these machines can do and what sort of machines are affected, i.e. all of them. What can they do? Basically anything. They can jam a toy police car into a dog's throat. They can turn the water sprinklers off and on. They can torment and terrorize this kid, too, because they do go after him a couple times. Mm -hmm. Uh, The lawnmower is about my favorite because it's not a lot that the lawnmower can do, but it's coated in blood, so we know that it's given a really good old college try at killing people. I think that, yeah, a lawnmower can't really do anything if you suspect that a lawnmower might come to life. I think that... It probably got somebody who wasn't paying attention because they're like a lawnmower. That doesn't. Maybe Stephen King's character got run over by that lawnmower. Oh yeah, like your lawnmower man, mangler kind of thing. Yeah, 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 right. It all crosses over. All of Stephen King crosses over. If anyone's interested, go look at the giant map that crosses over every single fucking plot. It's an awesome flowchart. If you're a flowchart junkie, like you are. Not really. I'm more of a spreadsheet junkie. To mm-hmm. be to be truth. I like pie charts. Pie charts. Yeah. What the fuck? Why? I don't know. What I mean, story can you tell with a pie chart? There's lots of this and a little of that. <laughs> That's kind of my outlook on life, though. There's a lot of this. There's a little of that. Nah, nah. You can't sort that sort of information. You need to take those figures and those headings, put them in a spreadsheet, right? And then from the spreadsheet, you could create a nice flowchart if you were really interested. But it is a very sexy flowchart if you're into sexy flowcharts. Mm-hmm. But 
it does serve to explain to us just what sort of trouble people are in. Aside from the trouble that we're seeing at the gas station, where they're being basically herded and corralled slowly by cruel trucks mm-hmm. that are basically telling people to shut up and not argue. Mm-hmm. The trucks hate God because they attack this fucking Bible salesman. Yeah. Like, with vehemence over and over again they really hate this guy yeah almost anytime he starts talking too they rev their engines it's great they try and silence people herd them and even though deke is getting through the town a little bit easier because he's on a bike and he's a kid and maybe not as noticeable and he's not causing any trouble and he's not calling them out and he's not trying to circumvent them he's just driving through a lot of them we get to see a lot of what they've done. It's pretty horrific. There's a lot of blood, which I really enjoy. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of dead bodies. There's a dead dog. I mean, they don't fuck around, right? hmm And there's that badass ice cream truck. And it's playing King of the Road. That's it my is. favorite little Easter egg. And it took me years to figure that out. I watched it um, at the Mayfair. They showed it about four years ago. And cool. I went and watched it. Oh, yeah. It was a really fun experience. It wasn't even that packed either, which I, I sort of expected there'd be a bigger turnout, but whatever. And it was on film, too. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a digital copy. Mm. So it was very, very cool to see. But it was when I was watching it there that I was like, God damn, that fucking ice cream truck is playing King of the Road. Who does he think he is? He thinks he's the King of the Road. Yeah. Obviously, covered in blood. Ice cream truck covered in blood. I love that image. Yeah, me too. Uh, the ice cream truck was one of my favorite vehicles. And they they pepper these vehicles in here. I mean, a lot of this a lot of the vehicles are fairly nameless trucks. They they all kind of look Then we the same. have Happy Toys. Mm-hmm. Here comes another big load of joy. Yeah. It's even got a slogan, <laughs> the mighty tasty ice cream truck. Yeah. The Zeke's garbage or Zeke's trash or whatever yeah. I forget what it is, but it's, it, it's, Zeke's. it's a Zeke's garbage uh, removal. Yeah, a very um, particular looking truck too. Yeah, it's like the. Uh, it's massive. It ha- and and it's like, it's a garbage truck like you've never seen because it's like a hillbilly a, cousin of garbage. Trucks. It's crazy because when you say garbage truck, people, everyone listening, will be like, yeah, a garbage truck. No, it's a fucking eighteen wheeler with a big old freaking trailer. Full of garbage. And one side of it's made of wood and can flop open, I guess, when they're dumping. It's like a homemade garbage truck. It's crazy. Yeah, it is really crazy. (laughs) And it is like this this red green style garbage truck. It's got a lot of character. Oh, yeah. A lot. As much as the Mighty Tasty Ice Cream Truck, which doesn't even have too much character except for maybe like demented guy that serves ice cream out of a truck that's like the character of the ice cream truck in itself yeah yeah you take so- you take something like an ice cream truck slowly driving around a suburban neighborhood with obvious blood splattered all over it fuck like that's sold yeah. sold yeah that's scary right there it doesn't how... need to do anything else i know and and i don't even know how could it's, like, it's crazy to me that people can't watch just that. And it's like, that doesn't do it for you? Yeah, right. This this creepy ice cream truck driving around a suburban na- neighborhood with a jolly uh, ice cream truck rendition of King of the Road covered in blood. What more do you want? Then you've got bigger, rustier, crueler looking trucks that are sort of like the drone bees of the truck army, as it were. 
chasing uh, characters that we meet after on the day of their wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt and Connie, mm-hmm. who I love. I love. And <laughs> Simpsons fans are going to just mess their pants because this is Yardley Smith. Yeah. Playing yeah. Connie. The voice of Lisa Simpson. Yeah. Which and I, Which I always dislike the fact that of all the voice actors on The Simpsons, she's the only one that just has one voice. She's just Lisa Simpson. I don't, that's fine. You know what? She can rest on her laurels all of her life and do just Lisa Simpson. I'm totally happy with that because she does a great fucking job. Period. I can't think of Lisa Simpson. I, I don't care. I don't want anyone else to sound like Lisa Simpson either. <laughs> like, really? So, yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't care that she only has one job. She yeah. does it just fine. You know what I mean? But this is what? Basically, the year before Simpsons hit Tracy Ullman's show. Yeah, basically. This was 87, and Tracy Ullman was 87 as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Yarley Smith would have been animated. She probably would have been done her voice work for the shorts at this point. Even if this was filmed in 86? If this was filmed in 80, well, I don't know. I, I don't know how long the, the, the shorts would have taken. It might have been just afterwards. I'm wondering when this, this was filmed. Well, either way, she is embarrassed of this film as well. I know. I don't know if she's embarrassed by proxy. Is like, well, Steve's embarrassed, so I'm going to be embarrassed too. This this film has been panned by critics. I mean, you could look online and you can watch, and you can read old reviews of that. Uh, Turns your crank. It was nominated for Razzies. Yeah. I, so, I mean, critics came at this movie hard, and this is one of those examples where I have such a disconnect with critics sometimes, where I just don't get it. No, me neither. Like, the, I I mean. Yeah, if if you if you are sold a movie, if you buy a ticket for a movie, not that critics buy tickets, which that's a whole other problem, but if you buy a ticket for a movie and you know full well that it's vehicles and machinery coming to life and killing people, it's not even the dumbest one of those horror movies. It's not like the refrigerator killing people. It's not the mangler where like a shirt press machine kills people. It's not even like rubber is a dumber movie. Hi, be nice. Car and kill those are dumber movies. Okay, you will not fucking say anything negative about kill dozer. Not around me. I just did. If you're going to say Rubber's a dumb movie, then fuck Killdozer. It is a dumb movie. I'm sorry. I think it's a great movie. I think it's way better than fucking Killdozer. Neither one are better than Maximum Overdrive. True. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> I like their scenes in Rubber that I just love. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's cute. I yeah. get it. But, you know, in terms of do I think... It, would I ever watch Rubber again? No. Would I watch Maximum Overdrive? Yes. If only Homicycle didn't have a driver. Although a friend of mine played the driver in Homicycle. Yeah. If Homicycle, if they could get a motorcycle to kill people without a driver, that would be brilliant. Or what if the killer just sort of ghost rides next to the motorcycle and kills people? <laughs> nah, it's not the same. You need to characterize the vehicle come to life no, the way no. that they do in, in this film, right? But they've got these like big rusty old trucks chasing down Kurt and Connie, and that is like one of the scariest chases, followed by one of the most improbable explosions ever. But yeah. it's got all of these horror things. So someone walking into a horror film, if this doesn't push their buttons, I don't think they have buttons, really, yeah. because it's got all of these things that we've talked about up until this point, and we're only like, what a half an hour into the movie because. This is where our people really start to converge and are being 
herded into the gas station mm-hmm. by so, trucks that are circling it and forcing them in. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the characters that we meet, like Emilio Estevez's character, which you kept calling, uh, uh, his, it's Will, right? Yeah, Will Robinson. Will Robinson. And no one makes a danger, danger Will Robinson joke at all. So he is our our, our uh, very shiny but dashing uh, cook, I guess. He's a cook at the Dixie restaurant. And we got a Bible salesman coming up with a hitchhiker that he's molesting. The, the sliminess that you were talking about is Stephen King excels at writing. Yeah, he does write this very believable, very instantly hateable Bible salesman. Oh, yeah. Not only is he dressed like a moron and just talking like a creep and feeling up this girl that's hitchhiking with him and then when she's paying attention to the radio and he's not and the radio is literally telling you guys to get the fuck off the highway because there's danger happening and he's not even listening and so she basically makes him pull over into this truck stop and And says some enchanting things to him oh my god take your hand off my knee or you're gonna be wiping your ass with a hook yeah. You know, really. And he freaks out. And I, Stephen King also, at this time, was writing some really good, um, for the lack of a better word, feminist literature. Because he really empowered a lot of female characters. Although he wrote very good stereotypical female characters, which I totally appreciate as well. I'll never badmouth a writer or like film writer or anybody for writing a, a woman as I see them. Because I do tend to call them as I see them as well. So him writing some super powerful women that will say things that were completely out of time or kind of new to a lot of people's ears. These older guys, this Bible salesman in particular, when he says he'd never heard a woman talk like that, because that sort of character would have never heard a woman talk like that. And any woman in that guy's mind would be pleased to have a man such as himself groping her fucking relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Because he was used to being able to shove his weight around and basically date rape women left, right, and center across mm-hmm. the country as a traveling salesman. So he writes that sort of like hateable, slimy character so fucking well. He still does. He's got all kinds of different hate and slime to work with now. But back then, it was these very particular styles of hate and slime that he wrote so well. And it works really good because the trucks see right through this Bible salesman, too. Yeah, they don't. They don't fucking cotton to that guy one bit. No, not at all. <laughs> Although, speaking of cotton, I'm not really sure how that works in context. That word is so weird. Um, Emilio Estevez's character, Will, really digs this hitchhiker girl. Oh, yeah. They cotton, if that's what you mean. Like, copulate. I'm putting my hands together, sort of like people pumping. You kind of seem like a, a toddler playing with action figures to me, the way that you're... It's like, is this how they do it? That's how people <laughs> copulate. <laughs> Well, we don't see the sex scene in this film, so I still don't know, Wes. We don't. Yeah, I'm waiting, too. Uh, I'm, you know, I got my fingers crossed. But, yeah, I, I, and to me, this seemed very quick, but I guess, whatever. It's it, under stressful times, and they just instantly take a shine to each other. It's weird. They're definitely understanding that something crazy is going on. They've had a few deaths. They don't feel like they can leave. This, aside from Emilio Estevez's uh, boss and a couple other hands, a lot of the, the truck stop is just filled up with the people who brought the trucks there in the first place, the truckers, including uh, the driver of 
the Green Goblin truck, the Happy Toys truck. And everyone's lines are kind of spread out. We don't spend a lot of time with these characters aside from the main three. The kid's father is the one that actually we saw get blinded yeah, earlier. Yeah, diesel gas, and then he got hit by a vehicle. He certainly did. He was determined to get out there and try to find his son, even though that he was practically blind. I mean, I don't know... If he would have just needed to wait it out a little bit more, wash his eyes out. I don't know what diesel fuel does to a human being's eyes. Probably something pretty painful. I got raid sprayed in my eyes and I couldn't see. I could only see blurry for about three days. Mm-hmm. Like It probably <laughs> does hurt very, the, very bad. There was, the, the one, the, there was one scene with that guy where he's walking out and he's just doddering because he can't fucking see shit. <laughs> he literally drops his keys. Where I, where I was thinking to myself, calm the fuck on, really? That's the one moment where I'm like, it's just so sad. Because it's almost as if he is not acknowledging the danger that he's in. And that type of stuff really bothers me. And it's not like in the mist where people don't acknowledge the danger they're in. And then mystically, at the end of the movie, they're not hurt. In this, this fucker literally goes out. He's like, he can barely see. So maybe you could sort of give a little bit of leeway but i was like all right i get it your eyes are blurry he can see a little bit he can certainly see a fucking 50 ton vehicle coming towards him can he not he drops his keys and bends down this is not the time for that i know comedy happens in real life wes and the funny part actually is when everyone yells at him look out (laughs) and he's like oh this guy fucking Turns into like a hefty bag full of meat when he's hit by that truck. That dude explodes. Yeah. Apparently at the beginning when the steamroller runs over one of the kids in the baseball diamond, mm-hmm. the uh, squib, I suppose, if you're going to call a fucking mm. milk bag full of fake blood a squib, mm. um, it went off way too insanely mm. and it exploded like a person's head exploding. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. And yeah. apparently Stephen King was like, yeah, awesome. And yeah. everyone was like, no, we can't do that. And he's yeah. like, why not? Come on, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, un- un- unfortunately, when they were going through uh, the MPAA, that had to get nixed. You I can, wish they could have kept it. Um, you can see in this cut of that, uh, in this version of that shot, you can definitely see how it's cut um, quite immediately look there is no illusion you see that kid get run the yeah. fuck over but it's it it does at that last minute where you would get that juicy pop of his head yeah yes they definitely but we get lots of exploding bodies and gore oh yeah when, when, believe me when people are hit by these trucks these are big fucking vehicles they don't fuck around a lot of the other bodies that you see is basically an aftermath or You'll see that uh, some of the smaller vehicles seem to be content to destroy themselves in order to kill their passengers or to run someone off onto the road or whatever the fuck. So you see a lot of people sort of dangling outside of cars that have been wrapped around a telephone pole or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It's nice. It's, it's a nice touch. Soothing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very practical way to show death on a larger scale without really having to spend a lot of money. Yeah. That's true. I don't know what the budget for this was. It didn't seem that it needed to be very big, though. You know what I mean? It was less than 10. Really? The budget for this film was about $9 million. Half of which spent on gas. Half of which spent on gas. Made. $9 million in 1986 or 1987. So, I mean, that's not a micro-budgeted fucking film. No. But... It's still probably not as much money as you think. But, I mean, you look at it, you get a lot of these vehicles and ones that are going to get scrapped anyways. You 
bust those up. I mean, it's not like the cars that they were showing damage were like beautiful cars. No, not at all. Right? A lot of the cars were pretty shitty old beaters. Mm-hmm. Speaking of shitty old beaters, the married couple has had a run-in with a truck, and they've decided to show up at this gas station. And you had pointed out, like, what the fuck makes you think that this would be your safe haven? It's insane to me. So what is happening? You're not exaggerating at all. When you say that they're hurting, corralling these people into the truck stop, listeners, that's exactly what they're doing. They are, if you can imagine it, like circling it. It's like, and it's just a constant convoy of trucks just constantly circling the entire establishment while the remaining survivors just sort of watch on and like, we don't know what to fucking do. Now, these two characters show up, and Kurt gets this idea that in this one gap, he's just going to drive on through. Connie, his wife, says, why? Because he's like, where else are we going to go? Motherfucker, anywhere that is not getting... I was like, I agree. You're... First of all, who knows why, if or when, your vehicle will turn on you? That's one thing that people have nitpicked about this film. And you know what? I'm fine with their vehicle not turning on them yet. Whatever. Maybe it's happy they got married. I don't know. Maybe it's not causing them any particular grief. To me, there, there's there been no established rules about... What turns and what, what doesn't. What, what turns, what doesn't, when it turns on, when it doesn't turn on. It, like So to me, that's not like... That's not a that's not a fucking continuity error. That is nothing. That is that, that is rubbish because they have not established beforehand when and where these things happen. Well, if water sprinklers can turn on, which are not electronic, I would like to point out. Yeah. Why didn't all the taps in the place turn on in the little spray nozzle at the yeah. dishwash and dish pit there? Why didn't it spray the floor and then spray up at the electricity or something? Like there would be a way for that place to electrocute everybody if yeah. it really just wanted to kill all the people. Like yeah, yeah. but. Some things turn on, some things don't. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, but like I said, if it, unless you establish it beforehand, uh, that doesn't that doesn't jump for me whatsoever. Their their vehicle works because narratively speaking, it needs to. It, it needs to work, and that's it's fine. It never really bothered me. It was only when other people started mentioning, it, I was like, yeah, you're right. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I I am not dismissing the point. I'm just saying that it doesn't bother me. Yeah. So, so he goes for it. He goes for it. Because for some reason, yeah, this thing getting circled by 15 massive trucks seems like the only... Like, you could go anywhere. Any other place. There's other buildings in the world. Yeah, but this one's close. It was only two miles away from the last time they got totally traumatized. He has pooped his pants. <laughs> he, has made, he has let the world know that he has pooped his pants. So, it, it could be a matter of desperation, and it is true that this... I, like, to me, though... It's it's the the known versus the unknown. You absolutely know that this building exists, but I absolutely know that there's 15 massive trucks surrounding it. And that indicates to me that there's probably people in there, but they have no way of getting out. And so basically we're dooming ourselves here. Or you hit the unknown. The unknown could be more secure or more dangerous. But since you don't know, I would have gone for that. But the, again, we're, I'm nitpicking this because this is not what the story is. This the, like So what I should be doing is paying attention to the story as laid out. What he does is he fucking narrowly gets in, but he does get clipped at the last second. And that car goes fucking flying. It's almost ridiculous to me that every time I watch this, I'm like, maybe he'll make it this time. He's just <laughs> going to make it. Maybe if I shut my eyes, he'll... Nope. 
Yeah. Yeah. Both of them survive, but the car is totaled, and they are now they have now joined everybody else, and it's basically a waiting game. They're trying to figure out what to do. Now, Emilio Estevez's boss is it Bubba? Yeah, which is weird because he refers to other people as Bubba, but his name is Bubba. His license plate says Bubba. His name is definitely Bubba, but he'll call other people Bubba. That's weird. Maybe Bubba is just like a pejorative slang term that he tosses around and doesn't give a fuck. Like if you're going to call me Bubba, I'm going to call you Bubba, Bubba. How, how do you like that? And he's like, you can't call me Bubba. That's our word. Which is really fucking weird. <laughs> I, I, it always strikes me as very fucking weird. It's super strange, but uh, it seemed to be, um, it was definitely derisive when he said it. Yeah. But not only this is this is kind of like your sleazebag, bright clothes, cigar smoking guy that I guess you would imagine owns a truck stop. I don't really imagine a guy that owns a truck stop being this guy almost seems like he owns a used car dealership to me. That's the character that they're painting. Well, it's sort of like a used car dealership of people. Everyone on his payroll is on parole. Mm-hmm. And Will's figured this out and is pissed off by it. Because he's like, oh, I get why you treat all of us like fucking slaves and dirt and are such a, an asshole and are underpaying all of us. Because you can. Because as soon as we complain, you'll fire us and then call our parole agent. So, like... We're all fucked, you asshole, and you planned it this way, which is, you know, a kind of cool plan. I kind of, I'm not behind him. I don't support him in any way, shape, or form, but he's smart, this Bubba. And he also has used his fucking empire of fucking parolee monkey workers to finance a very interesting arsenal of weaponry. Yeah. In the downstairs, which now houses some dead bodies, too, because of the people killed outside. And our friend Deke's dad, unfortunately. But he's also got rocket launchers, grenades, all kinds of stuff. Fully automatic weapons. This guy has enough equipment to, like, fuel a small army. Yeah, he really does. So I don't know what Bubba's motivation is as a human being. Used car salesman, partially, yeah. Yeah, he seems to be all about that dollar. Those fat stacks of paper cash. (laughs) I just wanted to see you cringe. I do, every time, every time. He definitely is putting the screws to the trucks. And if I were to suggest any reason why the trucks haven't leveled this building by now is because of the fact that he has the ability to basically kill these trucks. You know, it's one of those scenarios where, oh, I may not have enough rockets for all of you, but I have enough rockets for enough of you. And who the fuck here wants to test me with the rockets? So I think... The reasoning behind the trucks not leveling the place is twofold. One is the fact that they've demonstrated that they could kill them. And two is, which we're coming to, is the fact that these vehicles can't run forever. They are trucks and cars. And the humans hold the keys to that. Yeah, because they also don't have opposable thumbs. Not at all. And, And so they need... The humans to fuel them. Now, the Bible salesman that got smoked by the toy truck isn't dead and he's hollering from the ditch. And so they, they fucking decide that they're going to try to rescue him. Which just whatever. I mean, what I wish is when the trucks, because the trucks can overhear everything the people are saying. Yeah. So as soon as the people are like, we should go rescue him. The fuck, one of those trucks just should have went in the ditch and just like drove back and forth, back and forth. Kill the fucking guy and grind him into the mud. You know, and just be like, no, 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 no. You don't need to save this guy. It'll be funny to watch you guys try, but you don't need to. Mm -hmm. Because they had, like, run him over, run over his briefcase, which is shaped like a little Bible 
looking real, real cute and all that. Run over his shoes over and over. And the camera keeps going back to things like, yeah, yeah, remember when we killed the Bible guy? <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. There is little 666 mentions and stuff like that and some of the numbers on the doors of these trucks. Like this this Bible-hating demonic presence mm-hmm. is is definitely apparent. So for them to go rescue the Bible salesman, part of me is just like, why? So we can kill him again? Yeah, it's weird though because you said demonic presence and that is a good point because I'm thinking, well, it's a comet. Why? So to me, it's it's like a cosmic alien-like energy, radiation, however you want to call it. Why are they so anti-Bible salesmen? Do they just not like him because he was so abrasive and loud and shit? He was super abrasive and loud. Yeah, no one else seemed to like him too. Yeah. It was a good way because like, most of the people in the planet, well, half of them, are like kind of Judeo-Christian to some extent. So it's sort of like, see, this is what we're going to do to your God, right? Mm-hmm. So now you have no faith, and now we're just going to whittle you down. Person by person, Walkman by Walkman, and lawnmower by lawnmower, we will kill you all. Mm-hmm. Maybe because they were listening to too much ACDC, and they decided that they were just going to be all evil and satanic. Yeah, because that's the devil's music. That is the devil's music. I don't know, Lucifer was known as the morning star, so I don't see this being aliens at all. Now. Okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> now it's just all Satan. This is a comet brought to us by the devil yeah. in order to kill Bible salesmen on Earth for precisely eight days. A mockery of the Earth being created in seven. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's kind of perfect. A little too perfect. So was their plan to go and rescue the fucking Bible salesmen? Well, their plan is that the fact that they can go through the sewer system, they can go through the bathroom, a hole in the floor, go down through basically the drainage and then go out into the ditch where he is this is the same plan that deke has but in reverse yeah deke has made his way through the city he's trying to get to his dad's work and he is sort of crawling through the muck now thinking okay i know that there's like this i see the corral happening i can't get through these trucks but i can go through the ditch because i'm just little wee and Mm -hmm. spry and i'll be able to get through this way it's funny this reminds me of another Stephen King adaptation, Shawshank Redemption. And I'm just sitting there like, Emilio Estevez crawled through a river of shit. That's what Stephen King likes to do. Get believable characters, strong characters, put them all together in a little tiny place and make somebody wade through shit. (laughs) They really have Emilio Estevez and um, Will. I keep calling him by his actor's name. And uh, Kurt really talking about how gross it is down there. It's actually pretty good. It's, yeah. It's like, how's that taste? Are you okay? Like laughing at each other for falling in this disgusting shit and piss water. Well, you got to make some sort of light of it too, right? Yeah. And the way that they behave, it seems like, I don't remember catching it if they had said, but they both seem, seem to have served some time in the army or something. So they're both trained to deal with shit like this. Mm-hmm. So of course, if anyone's going to find some little gallows humor in being up to their fucking armpits and shit. It's these two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find humor in it as well. When Deke is just about to uh, get into there, uh, the Bible salesman grabs him. The Bible salesman has like been just lying in the ditch, like in fucking dirt and mud and muck and shit like that for hours now. So he looks pretty fucking horrific. Um, and then seems to, with his last breath, to grab this kid and hold on, and then he promptly dies. 
There's almost like a jump scare kind of territory there, and he's mm-hmm. sort of zombie looking. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, I've heard other people say that that was the scariest thing to them. And it was, to me, I felt like saying, hey, did you watch the rest of the film? Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus, that part isn't really that scary at all. Mm-hmm. Like, But to some people, that's horrific. Mm-hmm. When the, 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 the vehicles definitely get wise to what they're doing, drive down there as Will and Kurt find the kid and then they just very quickly try to like scurry or scroll themselves back into the sewer system or no, they go, no. Yeah. They definitely go through the sewer system and then get back up to the surface trying to get back into the main area. One of the very first things that Deke asks, well, is, is my dad okay? Mm -hmm. And he gets no answer. Yeah. Which bothered me immediately. Yeah. Because what are you waiting for someone else to tell him? Yeah, exactly. That and what the kid's just been through it's not that it pales in comparison to the death of a parent whatsoever, but this kid has seen as much as you and deserves the truth immediately. It deserves the truth immediately. I understand the idea of this kid, basically his singular mission up to this point was to find his father. I mean, it's a, he's a kid. That's his protector. His dad will know what to do. Mm-hmm. That's the mentality that he is, is going to. And even though this kid is being incredibly resourceful, a survivor intelligent brave he's still at at his core 12 years old and so he was like my future ex-boyfriend when i was 13 (laughs) i wish and when uh and so what he's looking for is he he's a kid that i can put on the brave face i can uh, for lack of a better term man up and do this but but like when I find my father, th- okay, then I need this responsibility to get passed to my parents and he will look after me. That's what he wants. And when you get to this place where you're looking for that safety net or that relief and then not having it and then being told very insensitively by someone else. Who you don't, who we hate as who we, viewers. Who, that you're, Sorry. You know, tough break. He's dead. Yeah, he got squashed by one of them trucks out there, which is kind of a shitty way. the the problem The biggest problem I have is like, as soon as he is at, he asks that question right off the top because that's his goal. We've seen what he's gone through as almost like a mini commando to fucking get where he is, mm-hmm. and he just wants the answer to that question immediately. And you have Emilia Estevez's character, well not answering him where I'm like, you know what? You're in a time of crisis. What you need to do as far as people go is resource management. You need to tell this kid his father's dead right now and know if he's going to be as continue to be as useful to you as he's just been to himself because he obviously got here on his own fucking jam. So we need to know if this kid's going to break down right now and be a liability or of use. Mm-hmm. And it's a very cold way to look at it, but that's the way that he should have really treated that. And maybe it would have saved him that really cold realization that he got from Bubba, of all fucking people, mm-hmm. not moments later. Because mm-hmm. the minute they come out of the ground, it's the first thing that he asks again. And it's those two moments that sort of almost relegate him to uh, the Walking Dead's Carl level (laughs) bullshit which we don't want especially since we've already fallen in love with this character 13 year old me in more ways than one (laughs) (laughs) and then to have him treated like carl yeah get in the house (laughs) 
It's maddening. It's maddening. And his reaction, and this is one spot where, one of the only two real spots maybe, where we would have asked a little bit more. Because his reaction is less emotion ridden than he really should have been, but also not as pissed off at Baba and Will for treating him like a kid. And I would have asked for a small line or something or some way to, for him to show that he didn't want to be treated like a kid right then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like right, right then, not later mm-hmm. when he gets a gun in his hand. Yeah. But right then. He deserved to be treated like an adult at that point. It's about at this point in the film where we get to meet more colorful cast of characters. We get our fucking bulldozer. We get our military truck. But it's not, I have to have, it's not a military truck. That's incorrect. It's not like a big old van. What it is, it's it's like a mobile machine gun. It's like a little cart. It's not even like a cart. Like it has a little wheel, like a little steering yeah. wheel, and it's got a gun on it. And that's really it. It's what more really, do you need, I it's, guess? It's really strange because it is just that. It, you could see that what it is, it's a vehicle that's set up for two people. One person drives it around. The other person stands up on the top of it, completely exposed, and has like a little turret. I don't know anything about the army or guns or anything like that. I do know this is a chain gun of some sort. Yeah. Chain gun on a stick. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't understand the tactical use of this machine especially because it's not armored so it's 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 a 50 caliber uh weapon so its only function is to absolutely annihilate anything that it shoots yes it just chews through everybody yeah but couldn't somebody chew through i'm picturing two people like two of these machines in like facing each other facing each other yeah (laughs) everyone just dies instantly it seems weird because it seems very exposed but this is the type of gun that might be on the back of of a of a military jeep or something like that, that that you might have but this is a very interesting vehicle it's instantly iconic and this is where it kind of understands that, oh, shit, whatever's happening, the trucks aren't fucking around anymore. A lot of them seem to have become immobile. Mm-hmm. That's because they've been running this convoy for almost two days now. And trucks can't run indefinitely for two days. They fucking run out of gas. Yeah. And, and as far as the character of this little vehicle, it's like the weedy sergeant. It has no real balls. It has no big gruff look. It is a stick on a gun and a steering wheel. It's the weirdest looking thing. But it is like the accountant of the operation. And it comes to communicate with people. That's basically what it does. And kill them, you know, quite unceremoniously. It doesn't like herd you around. It doesn't have a bunch of attitude. It doesn't scare you like an ice cream truck. It doesn't like bully you around like the great big sexy green goblin truck. Mm-hmm. Which I gotta add is very sexy when we see the interior of oh that. Oh my god, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's probably the sexiest truck ever. It's like fucking all like red interior, fucking white steering wheel. I, th- I think the curtain separating the the cabin is like velvet. It's like red velvet, yeah. Oh it is god. like the sexiest and meanest bully, really. Oh yeah. And most like it's, intolerant. It's, it seems, uh, and, and it's very, it seems uh, of the trucks, it also seems very intelligent. Yeah. It watches people. It seems fascinated by people. You had pointed out when we were watching it. It does. It does watch people. And I like that. That's some really good direction too, where it's using the mirror of the truck to show us a scene that's offside and to make it look like the truck is watching it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like killer point of view, but it's a rear view mirror. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. But 
It's the second smartest vehicle, I'd wager. The uh, fuel pump tank is also pretty smart later, but mm-hmm. in, a, in a weird mute kind of way. Well, they're all kind of mute, so that's mm-hmm. silly, but it's like double mute because mm-hmm. it doesn't really let Will know what it wants. It just sort of like herds him toward it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like I likened it to have, feeding a bear Coca-Cola, which isn't something that you want to do. I've never personally fed a bear Coca-Cola, but I've seen large animals, large wild animals, get fed sugary, treaty things and sort of herd people like that for more and more and more. Um, so it's something you never want to do, and that's what they end up doing, is feeding these bears Coca-Cola as it is. Because the gun on a stick, for lack of... I don't know what you would call him. Like, does he have a name? No, I don't know. Yeah. Gun on a stick. The gun the gun, the gun, gun car, basically. It's like, but he's not even a car. He's not a car, no, it's not. I hate call, I can't call him a car. Like, yeah. the gun cart. Carts, yeah. The chain gun. Chain gun, yeah. Yeah. Uh, gone on a stick, he starts communicating them with Morse code mm-hmm. to tell them that they need fuel. And that the person that fuels them up won't be killed. And it's all in Morse code, which is kind of cute. And that kind of speaks to the whole Nancy Drew Hardy boys fan in me. And did when I was 13. <laughs> and who knows how to speak Morse code out of all these people? What, a little fucking, what was he, a Cub Scout? Eagle Scout? Something? Yeah, of course. That's he got, he got a merit. He got a merit badge for... Last like the other week for everything, I think that a kid like that that's in little league would also be in some sort of after school program where they just put kids in the woods. So he knows Morse code, and this is a military vehicle. They know Morse code, so this is how they communicate. And they need gasoline, and so what? Like uh, Emilio Estevez seems complete instantaneously thrilled about this because at the very least he wants to survive, and at the very least. If they're fueling the trucks, the trucks will not attack them. And if you appease your robot overlords, all will be well. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. Feed the queen, right? And he does seem like uncharacteristically stoked on this. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, I'll turn on the pumps. Awesome. It's cute, though, in a way. And this is how a lot of the times the electronics fuck with you. And, and it does provide some comedy where they're like, well, we would give you gas if we had power. And then the power turns on. And they're like, okay. <laughs> I, I kind of enjoy that sort of small black humor but yeah he starts fueling them and this is kids basically where the story ends mm-hmm. in the short story trucks by stephen king from the collection night shift mm-hmm. because you have a character fueling gas for as long as he can, knowing that it'll it'll run out, and then what? They'll probably just kill them all, or you know, see the another pumper coming up. So it's like, okay, they're just gonna keep feeding our tanks gas until there's no gas left in the world. Like, how's this gonna go on? Mm-hmm. And he sees a jumbo jet flying in the sky, and very morosely wishes that he could believe that there were people on that plane. And it's that's it. Sad ending mm-hmm. that they just will be crushed slowly by the robot overlords mm-hmm. not even really robots but you know what i mean yeah so the movie carries on from there it does amelia estevez basically works his fingers to the bone him and kurt which suddenly has assimilated himself into grease monkey life <laughs> just like it was his calling yeah almost didn't recognize him there for a second he's got the fucking he got like a dirty uh, tank top on and just overalls. Like, like I could imagine he just like woke up and and and, and it's like 
and his wife would be like, where do those overalls come from? He's like, I don't know. They just... It's like a, like, like a clown outfit and clown. Like, it won't come off. It won't, yeah, it won't come off. I disagree. And he's just now. like sitting there, just like fucking filling up trucks. They all are. Even Deke is doing it. And and like I like what they're all doing it. Like he's like, all right, you bad. They keep calling the trucks like bastards and like flipping them off and just like fuck you. Here's your gasoline. Everybody, everybody is in on it. I think it's kind of hilarious. Yeah, and this movie, I, I mean, is really. Uh, Everyone's so shiny and greasy and hot looking. I hate that look. It's one thing that I would, the only thing I would like to change. Even if I nitpick a little bit about Deke's reaction to his father's death, if mm-hmm. uh, you want to nitpick a little bit on Wanda's reaction to the whole situation and life in general, um, those we, little things, we, I would change the greasiness. We skipped over Wanda. Wanda's performance in a couple, the Wanda's performance in most of the scenes are fine. She has another one coming up though, but it's her first freakout that we've, mm-hmm. we've skipped. But well, her her main freakout when they just before they like start, she dies before they feed them gas, and she does. Yeah. And because she uh, she, she melts off to the chain gun. Yeah, she melts off to the chain gun and gets lit the fuck up. Um, and she is screeching. Her first freakout at night. She's just screeching. She's supposed to be drunk, so I get it. But she's just screeching, we made you, we made you. It's a valid point. And her being so incredulous at the thought of the fact that humankind has created vehicles and made their life easier. But of course, it could be that classic argument that I've heard a lot of people say from the observation of an alien species watching us would it not seem like the earth was made for vehicles because of how easy we've made it for things to travel in that way to, for our convenience. So we made these vehicles, but did we make them to inherit the earth? That is. The and we've question. started making like in the short story, they point out things about wanting more paving yeah. and they just basically pave the planet for yeah. the trucks. Uh, which is sort of where we're heading, right? Yeah, right. And to their point of view, they'd look down and be like, oh, look, they're expecting us. They're expecting us, right? yeah. I don't know. Which is a worse freakout, though? Linda Day's bastard, bastard, bastard freakout in pieces or this we made you freakout? I find the bastard one more ridiculous. Yeah. The piece uh, uh, in pieces... But I find Wanda, I find the actress's performance in this more uh, aggravating. And we're going to get into how certain things can really hit my ears wrong when we talk about Cujo next week. <laughs> but for this, it's just that where it's too big. I understand that she's upset. I understand that she's intoxicated. But it's too maniacal. It's- I disagree. I find it, she ha- she's snapping on behalf of everybody else. In a way, there is that. Be I mean, you're hot, you're tired, you're scared. There's people um, and drunk and drunk and 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 you know she's done. People still talking to her like she's their fucking waitress. Where she she's like, don't call me sweetheart, don't call me like fuck you. It's not cute anymore. I don't have to put up with this fucking shit. No one's my boss. I'm pissed off. So and I'm angry at these trucks. I just want to leave. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm st- I'm tired of all you people. I get that. I still think their performance 
is too escalated. She was also the first person really attacked in there, too, That's right? true. And she was attacked with malice, and the thing kept coming at her. Mm-hmm. And she was attacked quite grievously. Sure, other people getting hit by trucks and whatever. And dying, yes. But it was like, she's the nicest person in there, and she got the worst treatment from the machines immediately for no reason. So, of course, she feels extra incensed mm-hmm. and extra traumatized by all of these mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't find that it's too big. I really don't. And normally, when you're saying things hit your ears wrong, human voices hit my ears wrong. But specifically, women screeching can drive me out of a fucking place of business. Like, or women laughing quite more accurately. I know. Listeners, you don't want to go uh, to a restaurant with Lydia where there's too many other people having a good time around you because it's more than a little uncomfortable. <laughs> They sound like fucking idiots. It's not my fault. Like, I, I, okay. <laughs> often I want to shoot them with a tranquilizer gun, or stab them in the temple, or just leave. Or just leave. I yeah. usually just leave because yeah. it's just annoying. I don't understand why places of business allow people to carry on like that, and why as a society we like encourage that sort of behavior. That said, chick screaming outside of a diner with a bloodied arm. We made you at a bunch of rampaging trucks. I'm totally behind that. And it's I don't find it too big. I find it appropriate. And I can see why some people would find it comical. A lot of people do find things under duress comical anyway. Like bastards, 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 and mm-hmm. pieces, which is just comical. But this I find is appropriate. I really, really do. I, even from the first time I saw it to, to seeing it today. Yeah. So we disagree, but whatever. That's fine. It's not the first time. We'll be the last. That's probably a spot where a lot of people would agree with Stephen King. If they, he's like, oh, I was a crappy director because I was coked out of my head. They'd look at this scene and be like, yes, yes, you were. But I disagree. <laughs> I think it's perfect. There's a fucking, in Devil's Rejects, there is um, Mother Firefly's performance in her jail cell, which yeah. some people would say is over the top, but I find appropriate. And this, I rem- this reminds me a lot of that performance yeah yeah uh, I'll, I'll give you that i mean devil's reject is a whole other uh, can of worms for me anyway we run out of gas <laughs> wait for the show or for the trucks no i'm fine i could go on forever i got a cup of water i had four coffee today well it's true and Emilio Estevez is kind of like well that's the end of it right we're out of gas the day was fun but bye yep sorry guys Sorry now, but they fucking bring gas trucks. And this is, like you were talking about, that is the the sort of, that's where it would sink in for the readers reading this short story. The, the, The seemingly endlessness that what the trucks are actually proposing. And then also the trucks not really being too brash about it, but you could tell that we don't care if you work yourselves to death to fuel us. Yeah. And he's pushing them chest to chest, grill to chest, as it yeah. were. But it's like chest to chest at this point because they personify these trucks so very well. Mm-hmm. And you've got this big, beefy lunkhead, sort of the moose of Riverdale, just <laughs> chest to chest with them. <laughs> well, he is. And he's just herding them toward the spot where they would fill mm-hmm. up the gas tanks. Yeah. Emilio Estevez is, at this point, he is blistered and delirious. He's probably heat stroke. He's been out there four hours uh he's been working non-stop and 
him and his lady go back like like the the guys pull him in they're just like you're done man you're done and he doesn't want to stop because but he he can't he cannot stand there any longer he has this theory in his delirium which is quite apt and i like it a lot um and it's almost like a lot of these alien invasion stories what they can be boiled down to he's muttering something about the broom and his sudden new girlfriend has him elaborate he's figuring that these alien creatures have sent this is a first wave of scouts as it were to come down and just sweep us all away like a great big broom and clean that plate so that they can set up residency here Mm. on earth he likens it to if you wanted to buy a house and get a new place to live but you came in there and the walls were greasy the floor was dirty and that's humanity and so would you not before you came in to settle down, clean house. Yeah. That's his perception. It's not a bad theory. It's definitely like tinfoil hat delirious, but he is sunstroke at this point. But he's probably not far off the mark. No, and, and I mean, if you were going to attribute, because if you were trying to think to yourself, well, what would the point be of a comet? Like, why would a comet's radiation do that to machinery? Who knows? This well, is, I don't think it's aliens I, I don't think, at all. I don't well, think it's aliens, but I mean, it works if that's what you want to say. And I don't even think the movie is saying that this is what's actually happening. No, it's an electronic interference that has given them a semblance of an artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. A very violent one. But wouldn't you be? I mean, you've seen the way that some women treat their hair straighteners. They're covered in gunk and they're just like neglected and they're left on to time out. Every video game controller is just going to wrap around people's throats and be like, I'm going to throw you across the room. What are the cordless ones going to do? Hit you. Or egg them on or flash annoyingly because that's what some machines do in maximum overdrive. Yeah. I kind of feel bad for some of the machines that are either locked down or can't really do anything. And Like those poor rusted out cars in the junkyard that yeah. were all piled up. They had their headlights flashing off and it's on. It's like, here they come, boys. What do we do? I don't know. Flash our headlights menacingly. Or the burger, or the order, the takeout window there, that burger place. Yeah, humans are here. Humans are here. Mm-hmm. I'm helping. <laughs> I'm having a wonderful time. I'm helping too, guys. Yeah, like little tiny wireless controllers would just be like, I'm helping. <laughs> They'd be like, hey, hey. They would just rumble yeah. off the table hey, and trip come you. Come over here. Come over here. It's like you step on one of the controllers. It's like, yeah, you didn't like that, did you? Fucker. Hurt your foot, did you? <laughs> Fucking love that punk shit, man. Anyway. <laughs> I do feel sorry for the smaller electronic equipment unable to kill people. I definitely do. So when Emilio finally gets to his feet, um, they still have a massive problem. They're never going to get out of here. The convoy now isn't just like 15 or 16 trucks circling the building. It's hundreds There's of trucks. hundreds and hundreds it's of trucks. Ba- it's backed up as far as the eye can see, all of these fucking trucks. And not only that, but Emilio Estevez like posits that it might be that certain vehicles can communicate with other vehicles of the same type. So he thinks that the trucks seem to be able to communicate the best with other 18-wheelers. That's how come there's all these 18-wheelers that keep coming to this place. But there are other types of vehicles there. There's the, And the military equipment, he maybe even posits that. He's like, look, if the trucks want to attack this place, 
they could just ram into the building and knock it down, but we could escape by hiding in the basement. He thinks that this gun cart could bring military grade vehicles there, like napalm the place. Yeah. So he is basically treating not only that, but this gun cart has lit this fucking place up. Tons of characters have fucking died by this gun because it doesn't need to be able to drive into the building. It can just shoot the fucking shit. These are massive fucking casings that are getting shot into this building. It's going to rip through that building like it's a bush. Yeah, and I can probably sneak around pretty good, too. I Unlike the other bigger trucks where I can sort of see... Like, have you seen the uh, Pixar film Cars? I, I haven't. Yeah, but... no. Where you can sort of, like, get... Like, what part of a car is their eyes? Have you ever looked at a car and thought of it as a face? Yeah. And you can see, like, what parts would operate as eyes, what parts would operate as a mouth or a nose if you're interested in what cars smell. Um, with this military vehicle, though, there's no face to it. So I don't understand how it hears, how it sees, how it aims. You know what I mean? I, how When people are shouting answers back to it from its Morris Code questions, how it is communicating with the people Mm -hmm. necessarily but it does pose the biggest threat Mm -hmm. and also because it is the most alien as well to me Mm -hmm. because the reason why most aliens have like a humanoid appearance so that we can relate to them especially if it's a character we need to care about if you take something completely alien looking like this fucking gun car of course it's the biggest threat and you want it done with right Mm -hmm. i like the way that he fixes it he fixes it in the most underhanded, sneaky, quick method, too. Mm-hmm. He kind of uses its own weapons against him, too, being military-grade. Mm-hmm. He basically uh, t- manages... Because everywhere that they go, this gun trains on them. Like, if you're near the gun at all, it's focused on you. So Especially two people talking, because then you're probably up to something. Yeah. So they manage to basically drop a grenade onto it and then run away and then it just lights up that seems to be the main problem but once that happens the trucksters is like well fuck you then and they so now everyone escapes and good thing they fucking did because by nightfall the trucks are just done and they just they just basically drive over the, the the Dixie truck stop. It's awesome in a way, and there's a lot of little things where they keep proving to me that they're smarter than people. The way that they take down the overhead canopy over the gas. Yeah, the trucks br- basically bring their uh, the dump truck, the dump trucks basket or whatever you call that thing. Yeah, there's a better word for it. There's definitely it, a better word, but we're not. They truckers. drive under it with that thing up so that it tears it down and stuff like that. So it's really cool. And then they drive a huge oxygen tanker inside mm-hmm. the dixie boy this is another really weird example of of these trucks not really having a lot of self-preservation they don't but, seem to attack one another there's only one instance that we're going to get to of like where i question this but i'm positive they never hurt one another so maybe the trucks are a little better than us after all so the so like for the cause yeah. they will sacrifice themselves they will kamikaze easy peasy but they won't hurt one another yeah when this place blows up and everyone's basically on the move. There's actually quite a few survivors. So there's a, a big group. They're all heavily armed to the teeth because of all that military equipment that was in the basement that Bubba was holding before he got shot the fuck up after uh, trying to uh, killing one of the bulldozers. But now they're on the move. And the Dixie truck stop is gone. And so basically what they want to do is head out to sea. Like so many zombocalypse, zero days. Yeah, they end it, like this. Yeah. 
And people do think about this in the event of a world catastrophe. Mm-hmm. The safest place is on a boat or on an island or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're not entirely wrong. Um, I think they're more right if they know how to pilot a boat, own a boat, or have taken some sort of like wilderness training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this happens in uh, a lot of zombie films. Um, uh, the the book World War Z by Max Brooks really illustrates a lot of people heading out to sea, and it's actually a really fascinating chapter because when you think about the survival movies where yeah a group of six people decide to head out to the ocean and see if they can fare better out there max book says yeah and a, a million people have that exact same idea what happens mm-hmm. these weird societies of boats that form because of it and the fact that the dead are in the water so so there's all these crazy things that are happening uh in that book and so this is i mean they don't go into that i'd like to think the sharks would protect us yeah well you know what fulci has taught us that not all sharks uh have the chutzpah sort of to <laughs> to save us from the zombies damn I was hoping, I was hoping, because that's my plan, right? When Zombocalypse hits, to head out to sea like everybody else. Yeah, and and what, like enchant the sharks like you're fucking Aquaman? And protect me, sharks! <laughs> no, not really, I was just hoping they would want to protect me of their own free will. Sort of way dolphins want to fuck people of their own free will, is yeah. sharks protect people. Hello, Lydia, it is I, the Shark King. And I am here to save you, because you seem like a swell gal. By I then, I will be delirious enough from drinking seawater and sun exposure <laughs> to believe that this will fucking happen. Quick, Lydia. Stow away in my mouth for safety. Okay, King Shark. And it's just you getting like, eaten by a fucking great white. <laughs> you just wrote our next ABCs of death idea. G for great white. Oh my god. Or K for King Shark. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm smart and funny. And if it was a Zombocalypse, I would come back as a zombie. Oh my god. I would love this. <laughs> I just keep imagining you. Like imagining like King Shark in his muscular fin arms like carrying you to safety and like fighting. Like arms? Basically fighting off other zombies for you. Cut to what's actually happening and it's just like fucking a sea of red water just floating around your body as you're just dangling in its jaws. (laughs) Most people would be disturbed that their friends would think of them like that, but I'm flattered. Thank you. (laughs) This is where, um, (laughs) sorry, get back on track here. Our, our, uh, our, our heroes are now making their way to the water. They, they Sorry. encounter the ice cream truck. No, wait, before they do that, No, wait, they encounter the ice cream truck, and they light it the fuck up. And I'm like, oh, come on, I didn't even get to see anybody kill anybody. But I guess they're sort of cleaning house. They're like, these are all the vehicles you remember. So they're trying to, like, clear those out for the end of the movie. Um, and there's that burger sign where it's like, humans are here. Like, we were just talking about. Deke has, like, the weirdest reaction of anyone ever. And I kind of felt bad for him, but at the same time, I was like, you... That lame, because he's a the the. It's a sign. It's a sign that can't do anything but vaguely alert 
people within earshot that there's humans there. Yeah. And he and he's like, this is for my dad. And then he fucking shoots the gun. And it's like, your father wasn't killed by a sign, dude. And then after he sh- shoots a gun, he hands his gun off. He's like, I'm not going to need this anymore. I'm like, yeah. You, you will. probably you will. You probably will. Yeah. You might want to keep that and all the bullets that goes with it. Yeah. Welcome to the world now, kid. At least for the next seven days. But yeah. or six days. But um I agree and disagree in that like it is sort of a borgy hive mind that these machines have got going on. Who knows what he can talk to? Mm. I guess maybe because he has a speaker, he is in line with other things with speakers like cb radios and trucks and maybe he could call the trucks like who knows how far reaching the the borgness or the ai of this sign yelling Mm -hmm. humans are here to me it strikes me as probably radio waves since they're dealing with so much radiation and, and and shit like that so i'm thinking things might be like traveling along those lines but at the same time, no, I agree. It could he could be doing a lot of good, but I guess my point being is like maybe it's because he couldn't kill the truck that killed his father because the truck was already destroyed. Yeah, but it just seems so strange to me. I get it. It's just some, and in a way, I feel that he's addressing not the truck, not the sign, not any particular machine. He's addressing the entity, the one singular entity, the one single god type or Satan type entity that he envisions running all of the machines with a single mind i understand that it is the symbology of destroying this thing it just struck me as kind of impractical i was like that's a very noble gesture at least keep the gun um yeah and just when we think we're getting out of here oh shit we got one more left it's our happy toys friend it's my favorite truck ever it's a lot of people's favorite trucks it's definitely mine when the one guy stays back because he wants to steal this gaudy ass fucking ring from this dead woman. That probably is not diamonds. It's just hot. It looks hideous. It looks like costume jewelry. Yeah, it looks absolutely horrendous, but he's like, ooh, giant diamond. I'm so into this. Doesn't hear the sultry purrs. Because it is purring. I maintain, watch this film and pay particular attention to the Green Goblin truck. There are numerous instances where they've laid under the sound of the engine idling or the truck revving, the sound of a large cat doing its yowling meow. It's not a meow that fucking panthers make. I don't know what sound you call that. It's almost like a a, a yowl, I think. Um, predatory. It's a predatory attack sound mm-hmm. that a large cat, a, a tiger, lion, panther, whatever, cougar, whatever, makes... It's one of those big cat yowls underneath when it's revving. Definitely, like, I call me crazy, but I swear that they've laid that underneath the sound of the engine. And this even drives it home because the engine isn't idling. It's fucking purring. You cannot replicate this sound. And if you listen, it is purring exactly like an open mouth, large puma or something that is resting on a tree branch in the Serengeti or mm-hmm. whatever, wherever the fuck big cats come from. Um, it is definitely a large cat purring. It is not a truck idling at all. It can be a little difficult to hear. Typically speaking, when the Happy Toys truck or the Green Goblin mask truck is killing somebody, or there's even a couple of instances where he, he's not the one doing the killing, but 
the machines are doing the killing. They do a vaguely psycho-esque wee-wee-wee uh, noise. That sound has nothing to do with the big cats. I know, but I'm just... My point being is sometimes it's hard to hear really what the engine is doing to me because I'm distracted by that noise. Yeah, this particular instance, the final showdown with the Green Goblin isn't the best example because it's there, but it's underneath that, yeah, psycho-esque uh, orchestral hit or, like, metal guitar hit because it's ACDC. A lot of ACDC. Um, but, like, earlier I'd noticed, earlier mm-hmm. in the show, so there are better instances of it sounding exactly like the, the, is it the MGM lion that roars? Oh no, it's not the MGM lion that roars. Yeah, that's it's the, like a wildcat sound. Yeah, it, it, the, the 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 MGM lion does roar. Though. Yeah, but there's another one that gives like the wildcat sound. Oh, I don't know. It's exactly like a wildcat yowl, and mm-hmm. there's much better instances of that. But this is the number one best instance of it sounding like a purring animal. It's a purring big cat. There, it's not, I don't even think that there's an engine sound used in that. I'd like to research that a little deeper. Emilio Estevez basically pops off the last rocket that he has on the Happy Toys truck, blows it up. The thing about a, a lot of the deaths of these vehicles is when they have you and you don't have any of these big military weapons, you're in a lot of trouble. And maybe if you tried to fire a machine gun off at this truck, it would still keep coming and run you the fuck over. But, I mean, when he has a rocket, he's, he's pretty much good to go. He blows up that truck. To me, it's it always struck me as a little anticlimactic. I'm glad that the truck got to get at least one more kill in, but I would have liked it more drawn out. I think it would have been better to spend more time at this stage and less time with them trapped, but I understand why they did it. That's, this is a minor complaint. This is pacing for me, and this is also the fact that you have such a great, iconic character. Stephen King had no idea that this character would take off the way it did. But I think that what I want to remember about this character is that his final fight was like more drawn-out, slobber-knocker, man-versus-machine type thing as opposed to just Emilio Estevez stepping out, shooting it once with a rocket, and that's the end of it. And they're like, woo! I'm like, yeah, I... You want it to actually come lurching on flames after him a little more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like something really cool like that. And they almost give you that moment when the eyes light red when it's on fire. And I'm like, oh, man. Here it comes. Here it comes. You're fucked. This truck's not. It's down, but it's not out. I wanted something like that. Maybe like separating the group. Like, and in the last ditch effort, like doing something that makes the car. I don't know. If I was a giant truck on fire, I would just drive through the fucking people and hope that I explode when I'm closest to it. Yeah, because believe me, this vehicle, like many of the vehicles in this, explode quite heavily. Yeah, um, very improbable explosions. Very yeah, bad. but I mean, you're, look what you're dealing with. Like this, that, That's not anything that I'm going to I love about. it. I, I think I'm not that, I'm saying I don't like it. And then when the when our characters get onto the boat, the boat again that doesn't seem to have a will of its own and they're just safely sailing on the boat. Uh, we're treated to a little blurb. That says, it's basically, and everything worked out fine. Forever. And they were saved. And they were saved. The survivors are still survivors. After the, the it was six more days of this uh, insanity, and then everything went back to normal when the comet's tail left the proximity of Earth. They can have uh, sailboats that work under power of sail, and all they would have had to do is take the engine, if there was an outboard engine, yeah. and just drop it in the fucking water, and then they would be completely free of electronics on that mm. particular boat if like 
if that is the case. Because what are the lights going to do? Yeah, I know that's true. Disconnect the battery and throw it over the edge, and then over you're here, fine. Over here, over here. <laughs> I think that um, they well, could have actually. I'm sorry. If the boat were going to call another machine, it could have called an airplane. Because whether it was an accident or not, and I'm leaning toward accident as well, we do see the one instance of what it looks like one machine has attacked another with a Cessna nosedived over into the top of a school bus. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool image. Yeah. It is an interesting image. I do like tree. Um, I do like planes in improbable places in apocalyptic fiction, like planes right through buildings and stuff. Mm-hmm. It always looks good in anime, but. Um, it must have been an accident. That or the school bus was like, hey, plane, I'm full of kids. Fly into me. And the plane was like, you got it. <laughs> yeah, we do see a plane uh, buzzing around. And, and obviously, like, if this movie had a, a much larger budget, if it was made now in the world of CGI, you may have even seen, like, a fleet of planes driving, uh, flying around. And, like, it would have been really crazy. Maybe you even once been, like, seeing military-grade fighters, like, just, like, dropping bombs and shooting up places that have been really cool if that was if this if that was this type of movie again you could just do another maximum overdrive now at another part of the country or the another part of the world on this during the same week and you could just be like and here was like the military stuff like if you wanted like a big bloated action film, i'm not saying you need that but i'm just saying that like you could if you wanted to and, and so, I would even like like and I like I would if I had the power I would say please everyone this is like a call to action please write maximum overdrive fanfic because the yeah. world needs more of it but I'd like to take it street level like I normally do and get some street involved drug addicts or something and their reaction there's not them. enough drug addicts in, in, in this there's not enough drug addicts in most fiction especially not horror fiction because it's fucking scary I think that um when you're dealing with a with a, a film about Maximum Overdrive, why it's so effective is the fact that fucking trucks wig people out. Like, you know what I mean? And, and you can see all these moments in this film that build tension. We all know that when we're driving down a highway and we hear that cyst of, uh, of uh, air coming out of the trucks or we see that those smokestacks or just the feeling of your vehicle as it gets passed by a massive fucking truck going 30 kilometers over the speed limit and you're just, and you feel like the air shift around your vehicle and almost like wobble you and everyone gets nervous i mean i i know drivers that tense up when these large vehicles pass them it's such a natural thing to be afraid of tons of metal and glass driving past you on the highway and it's something that everyone can relate to everyone has seen these vehicles everyone on some level is wary around cars and trucks like this and so the idea that they would be coming to life with the express purpose of murdering you because most of the thing is like the thing that's scary about trucks is like you have to trust total strangers to not run into you because you'll lose that fight because you're not the truck the, like, the driver in the truck will likely survive, and the truck, you know, it will likely run again. Your vehicle will never move from wherever the fuck it lands. You will not survive that impact. Yeah, there's only half the metal in your car that is contained in their fucking bumper. So, yeah. Yeah. So And older trucks are even more menacing looking, I oh, find. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, just old, beaten down, massive trucks that have just 
clocked countless hours. Huge, massive extra intakes on the side of them and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's almost alien looking and nothing like a car that we are used to at all. So oh, yeah. Very, very so, terrifying. Like, so just just like all the sound cues in this movie, naturally, the way that a lot of us have grown up now can trigger like tension because you have to be more alert when you hear those noises. You go, oh, shit, there's a truck around me. I have to be more alert now because if I fuck up or if this truck fucks up and I'm not paying attention. I'm fucked. I don't know. I just sort of treat every vehicle on the road around me like that. Specifically motorcycles. I'm a lot more wary of motorcycles because I don't want to do anything they don't expect because I mm-hmm. know that it's a little more yeah. touch and go Obviously, on a motorcycle. But like, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm afraid of all of the fucking vehicles around me equally. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really hit me like that. But now that you say that, holy shit, it's totally true. They are totally terrifying. They are like the big monsters or the huge, like, big like bears, they are like wild animals, mm-hmm. as opposed to our like domestic kitty cats or yeah. Honda. They are the biggest, Coops. baddest things on the road that we see typically, and it's not even like oh, it's rare to see these big trucks. Fuck it, you see them all the time so, uh, around here. You see them on the four seventeen constantly. Yeah, everything needs to get shipped everywhere else. That's just how it is. Yeah, it's true. And there are lots of them driving in traffic that you might even find insane, and they're driving as fast as you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's always crazy to me when you think that you're peeling down the highway, and you're like, oh, man, I'm making good time. I'm fucking cruising. And this thing just like, vroom, just, it's so big, and it's moving so fast, and you're like, oh, my God. Because this trucker doesn't give a fuck. He'll do a buck 40. Especially if they don't have a load, right? If they don't have a load and they can go really, really fast, what scares me even more is when a truck does have a load, and it's, like, rocking back oh and God. forth. Yeah. Uh, log trucks do Oh, my God. Me. Anyone that's seen Final Destination, right? You're just like, like get away from that log truck. <laughs> it even before then. Even yeah. before then, I was freaked out, but even more so after, and it spread amongst the public, thank God, oh to be, like... as terrified as I was of fucking log trucks. I'm so glad they don't have a log truck in this movie because then it would be beyond horror. It would be immaculate. Oh, my God. My head would have exploded like a steamroller versus a baseball player. (laughs) So what do we got next for him? Coming up next, we have everybody's favorite puppy, Cujo. Oh, I'm going to the doghouse, guys. Yep. Big cups of warm milk for all. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, if if we're not in the middle of a heat wave, because we're blessedly sitting at about 16, 17 degrees here today, instead of like 30, 35. Yeah. We were, we were definitely cooking in our panties last week. Mm-hmm. But if it's not quite that hot, if we're not like edging into 40 degrees territory next weekend, I'm going to turn the heat on. Just so that we can live what they lived trapped in a car during a heat wave with nothing to drink but warm milk why do you want like my fucking balls basically like floating in sweaty broth for the entire goddamn show as your whole body's gonna be i don't care about your balls your whole body's gonna be floating in a sweaty broth well i care about my balls you you pay too much attention to your balls uh it's just because not enough people pay attention to them without me maybe they need more sweat Maybe if they were sweetier, people would pay more attention to them. I know I won't be paying any attention because I will be fucking dying too. <laughs> Boob sweat is real. Like, totally. Yes. Just as bad and just as rotten and just as rancid. And maybe even more embarrassing because it shows up right on our fucking shirts. So, <laughs> Guys, we've had a lot of fun here today, but uh, boob sweat is no joke. In fact, nine out of ten women will experience boob sweat in their lifetime. 
And for just pennies a day, you can make sure that they don't have... I, don't, I, I, lost, I lost the joke, but there you go. After Cujo, all is well when we explore Jeepers Creepers, Wes. Ooh. Yeah, I know back. you like that one, so you'll feel better about life. I do really like Jeepers Creepers, and we're back into Justin Long territory. <laughs> like we never left. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.